I'm excited. I'm excited to go through this. This, is, this has been really challenging for me to go through this passage. Um, yeah, so let, let's, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 4. Not Matthew 5, Matthew 4. Is everybody there yet? Okay, we're going to go on. Um, so we've been going through a series called Be, Beatitudes, whatever you want to call it. Um, in Matthew 4, Jesus starts his ministry, and we're going to pick up in 4.23. Um, Matthew 4.23. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in all the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. In essence, people were coming from every direction to see him, to hear him, to be healed by him, to be healed by Jesus. And then 5.1, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Here Jesus begins his first recorded sermon, and uh, you could just tell the crowd was going silent. Like he was about to open his mouth and say something important they could tell. Um, I'm just curious, does anyone have Matthew 5.3-12 through 12 memorized and wants to recite that? I can read it, but I'll do it. Okay, just three through twelve. That'd be good. Yeah. Thanks, Danny. There you go. Okay. So, if you paid attention at all to what she just said, you noticed that he just said "blessed" nine times. Blessed, 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 blessed. This would, this would have really perked the listeners' ears. As we've already re- learned, this isn't just a, a cliche Christian-y term. Um, but to the people listening, this would have been divine joy. This would have been perfect happiness. And, and you can see the whole crowd just turning their heads at, to, to see this and, and why. You know, people want this. People want happiness, right? We see this everywhere. And we've been seeing in this, uh, in this series so far that happiness is not a result. You don't find happiness from searching for happiness. It's a result of seeking God. Um, so he does something they don't expect, right? The happiness he describes, the divine happiness, is just, it's just a statement of fact for these people. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. It's never the end goal. So let's go over these quickly. All right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Andy taught on that a while back. And this describes a person who is bankrupt in spirit, who has nothing. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Anthony and Jen taught on that. And that just describes someone who sees their sin and their condition and mourns over it. 
Blessed are the meek. Deontay taught on that a couple weeks ago. This describes a person who is humbly waiting for God, waiting for God to work, trusting in God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And Matt Tex thought on that last week. And that describes a person who's, who's looking for a righteousness that's not their own. They're looking for and longing for a righteousness that's not their own. So these are all descriptions of true believers. And uh, you can see that this is the first one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the first one with direct implications to people around us. The ones up to this point have been between a person and God for the most part. But this one goes out into the everyday life of a believer. That being said, it should be true of our lives, right? It should be true of our lives. We should check ourselves. Because in the end, it is the merciful that will receive mercy. That's what it says. The merciful will receive mercy. So, so we should check ourselves. Are you merciful? Would someone describe you as merciful? And why is that important anyways? In Jesus' day and in our day, mercy isn't really looked up to. It, it may be a good-sounding word in here, but people don't, really, people don't really look up to that. People don't really look up to someone who shows mercy, right? The Romans, in Jesus' day, they, they thought mercy was a sign of weakness. And I mean, and uh, we don't exactly lift up the person who just decides to show mercy to the person that wronged them, do we? Like, we think it's cool when they go on a killing rampage and get revenge, right? Like, that's, that's what all the movies are about, you know? Get revenge for someone that did you wrong. Don't be merciful. But God is merciful. And that's, that's why this is important. And God is merciful more than we'll ever know. Scripture says that we should be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's Luke 6.36. And as the Lord forgave you, so you also must forgive. And that's Colossians 3.13. Do you want to be like him? You can be merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Put simply, this is what this beatitude means. Only people shown mercy from God can be truly merciful. They live in this way as a response to God's mercy. Did you catch that? Only people shown mercy by God can be merciful. They live this way in response to God's mercy. It seems a bit backwards, but uh, we're going to unpack this a bit. So, maybe we should define mercy before we go any further. What, what's mercy? Anyone? Good. That's good. Anyone else? What's mercy? Yeah, that'd be good. That could work. Yeah, 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 for sure. Those are, those are good. Those are good. Um, let's see. Vine's Bible Dictionary defines mercy as feeling sympathy for someone, especially manifested in action. Again, notice, notice there's an outward emphasis on it. It's manifested in action. What are, what are some of those actions? What are some ways that people can show mercy? Anyone? And that's a question for you guys. What are some ways that people can show mercy? Forgiveness. That's a good one. That's a good one. 
they're not going to do that, though. <laughs> that would be mercy. That would be mercy, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so, so there, there are two sides to mercy. On one side, we, we have seeing someone else's needs and meeting them, um, whether it's physical, financial, forgiveness, whatever. Um, on the other side, it, for the person receiving mercy, it's, like Matt said, it's not getting what you deserve. It's calling out for help. It's, for, it's often receiving forgiveness. Um, this word mercy is used 13 times in the Gospels, and 11 of those are when people cry out to Jesus saying, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. These people are, have demon-possessed children. They're blind, beggars, um, lepers, and they, were, they knew there was something they didn't have, and they desperately longed for it. They couldn't have it on their own. They wouldn't have called out for it otherwise, right? Again, mercy is something you don't deserve, something you're undeserving of, something that's out of your hands, something you have to call for. Being undeserving is the key here, right? You don't deserve what mercy gives. But you, you might be asking, what, why is it that the merciful would be shown mercy? It seems, it seems from this beatitude that if I'm merciful enough, then I'm going to receive mercy, Right? And can unbelievers do that? Can't they be merciful too? Yes. Yes, they can. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Religious people would be quick to turn this into a formula on how to receive mercy from God. I'm I'm sure they have. Uh, Let's turn to Luke 18. Jesus, Jesus told this parable to remove people's trust in their own good deeds as a way to be right before God. Um, good deeds including being merciful. Uh, this is going to help us understand the meaning of our beatitude. Alright, so Luke 18, starting at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. Sorry. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house, down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Let's go back to verse 9. He also told this parable to some who treated themselves, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. So first we have the Pharisee who's religious, and don't forget, he's respected by all the people that Jesus is talking to. The listeners who trusted in their righteousness, in verse 9, these are the Pharisees in the story. And uh, then we have the tax collector, who's unjust, he's disloyal to his country, and he cheats people out of money. We have two people, two sides of a spectrum, right? Okay, let's go on to verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. 
I give tithes of all that I get. Okay, first off, what is this? Like, is that even a prayer? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Like, listen to, like, just listen to the arrogance in that. He thought he was doing God a favor by being so holy. He's so holy. He trusted these deeds to be right before God. And that's, that's the point of this story. And these people would have been considered merciful by the people listening, right? These people made it a point to give to others. When, uh, in Matthew 6, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to these people, when you give to the needy, when, not if, sound no trumpet before you. This is the merciful man of this story, believe it or not. Uh, Verse 13, let's keep on going. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's fitting what he says, because most Jews did call them them sinners. We see this all over the New Testament. They had nothing good before God, as far as anyone else was concerned. They had no good deeds. But here comes the shocker, verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. That man was justified. Right? And more than that, the, the Pharisee was not justified. Was the tax collector merciful? No. In fact, if anyone would be considered unmerciful as the tax collector... He had nothing good to offer God. He had no good deeds. He had nothing. Don't you remember? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's this guy. So receiving mercy is not the result of being merciful in yourself. Otherwise, the Pharisee would have been justified, wouldn't he? And the tax collector wouldn't have been. Let's, let's go back to our definition of mercy just to, to understand this. These religious people, like many others, would assume from this beatitude that they could be merciful enough to earn mercy from God. And just think about that. Earn mercy. What an oxymoron. The definition of mercy is that it's undeserved. This is really similar to Romans eleven sixteen, that says, if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. I'm not saying that mercy is grace. That's, that's a whole other thing. But, but the point is this. Earning grace makes it no longer grace. Earning mercy makes it no longer mercy. Whatever you earn, it won't be mercy. It can't be. And that's the point. Mercy is undeserved. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. What God gives in mercy cannot be earned. The amount of mercy you show before God shows you mercy is irrelevant. So the fact that the merci- so the, the fact that these people are merciful is the result of mercy shown to them. Like we said earlier, mercy merciful. God's mercy leads to merciful people, not the other way around. Who is justified and made right before God? The tax collector. Who has shown mercy? 
the unmerciful tax collector. So then what kind of people receive mercy in the end? We should nail this down. It's the person who sees his need for mercy and calls out for it. Who understands that mercy is not getting what you deserve. He understands what mercy really is. He recognizes he cannot earn it. He can only humbly receive it. He calls out, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's the person in the first four Beatitudes. That person will receive mercy. What kind of mercy are they going to receive? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Notice the emphasis is in the future. The fulfillment of this beatitude, like a lot of the others, is in the future. These people haven't received the mercy yet, but it's a certainty. They will receive mercy. Let's turn to the book of Jude, right before Revelation. Like Pastor Brian says, just turn to Revelation and go back. It's a lot easier that way. Um, So what kind of mercy are they going to receive, right? In the context of the certainty of judgment on false teachers and the false teachers teaching that the end of the world won't come, Jude says in verse 20, verse 20, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to an eternal life. You know what that implies? Not only do false teachers deserve hell, but you do. It takes mercy to give you eternal life. That's the mercy they will receive. And why do we deserve hell? It's the just payment for your sins. The payment for sinning against an infinitely holy God who has purer eyes than can see evil and cannot look at wrong. Habakkuk 1.13 And in whom is light and in him there is no darkness. 1 John 1.5 It only took one act of disobedience for the entire human race to fall. It only takes one sin for God to send you to hell. Scripture affirms that whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point is accountable for all of it. Many of us have heard of God's holiness and justice before, but let's think about it. Like it's, like it's hard for us to imagine that, that God would respond in this way to sin. But he does. It seems unbalanced from our point of view. We, we don't really understand why, but our human reason needs to conform to this. It's not the other way around. We just don't understand the weight of sin. Revealing God's standard of holiness was a big part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Let's turn back to Matthew 5.20. So this is just a little bit after the Beatitudes. Uh, Matthew 5.20 For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He then goes on to describe the real standard of God's law. 
how even desiring to commit a sin is like committing the sin itself. That being angry is to kill someone. Looking with lust is to commit adultery. And he ends this section in verse 48. And he says, You must therefore be perfect as your Father is perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect, in order to fulfill the law. How would anyone do that? He did what Romans 3 did in saying, No one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not one. Not even you. Don't fool yourself. Not even you. Acts 17 says that God calls all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And what's going to happen on that day that day that he's appointed in the future. Judgment. The just payment for sin. Hell. As someone said, as someone has said, you deserve a merciless judgment. And that's what hell is. Hell is merciless judgment, which is the just payment for people who don't believe. Merciless judgment to those who don't repent from sin. It's described in Scripture as eternal punishment, torment, anguish, wrath, vengeance, and the list goes on and on. And that's not God being unfair, unjust, mean. That's the just payment. That's what He must do. As a side note, have you guys ever looked into what the Bible says about hell? Um, This is probably one of the hardest parts, parts of my study to be honest. Um, and maybe maybe you need to wrestle with it on your own. Um, some passages to look at may be Luke 16, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Peter, or just look through what, what Jesus taught. I mean, he, he taught more on hell than all the other writers in Scripture combined. That's saying something. So the real question is now, why, why are you even alive? Why are you here right now? How did you get to this point? Why is there evil continuing in this world if we rightly deserve this? Why are you sitting here and not in hell right now? It's simply because of God's mercy. He gives mercy to everyone, believers and unbelievers. Think about it. Every single person on earth alive right now is receiving mercy from God right now. We just saw God's dealing with sin, but Scripture says that He makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He gives them all these things to enjoy. Unbelievers can enjoy many of the same things believers can. But even more than physical blessings, in Second Peter, in the context of, again, the certainty of God's judgment on the last day, Peter reminds his readers that God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This is God's mercy. Giving unrepentant people day after day to repent. This is God's mercy. And even though God undeservingly gives life and mercy and good things to all, 
Most will give nothing back. Think about it. There's some, some people that will be born, live, and die, and in between do nothing but running from God, shaking their fists at Him, blaspheming His name, living in blatant disobedience, and all the while enjoying all the good things that He gives. And He gives these people day after day to repent. And He gave you that time to repent as well if you're a believer. While you were running your hellbound race, indifferent to the cost, the great cost of offending a holy God, don't forget where you were. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and get this, were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive, together in Christ. That's Ephesians 2. Remember again, the focus of this passage, Matthew 5, 7, is is future mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Say nothing of the mercy He gave you in patience before you were a believer. Think of the sin you once lived in, the disobedience you once loved. Say nothing of the mercy we received the, received the moment we were saved. Think, think of what He did when He made you alive. When He made you a new creation. Say nothing about the mercy we received day by day by day by day from the throne of grace. Think about all the times you've gone back again and again and again for the same sin and how merciful He's been. future mercy we as believers wait for is the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life like what Jude said instead of the wrath that was to come as someone said in a commentary quote a Christian stands in a middle point between a mercy received and a mercy yet needed end quote how could they not be blessed The knowledge of God's abundant mercy to sinners creates a willing heart to reflect mercy to others. It's what you would expect the tax collector back in Matthew 18 to do once he finds out that he's received mercy. It's what what Zacchaeus did when he gave away four times what he had cheated people in Luke 19. And this is God's plan. And that's where we started The mercy of God creates merciful people. This is the motivation for our mercy. Let's let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy for poor people like us. Let's Let's just take a minute to pray, just on our own, and just 
thank God for the mercy He's shown us. When we think, when we think about God's mercy, both to unbelievers, especially to believers, it really sheds a whole new light on Luke 6.36 that says, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. So let's, let's turn there. Let's turn to Luke 6. This is going to help us see what mercy looks like in our lives. This is another sermon given by Jesus, pretty similar to the Sermon on the Mount. Pretty similar crowd. Luke 6. Okay, Luke 6, we're going to start in verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who, would, who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you would wish that others do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and expect back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Let's go back to 35 real quick. Love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Why? Why will you be sons of the Most High? For He is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So this is a description of how God's mercy should be manifested in the lives of believers. This is a description of how we can show God's mercy in the way we live. You want to be like Him? Show mercy like this. Do you want to be like Him? Show mercy like this. Here we're given a command to what? Love our enemies. Verse 27. Pray for those who abuse us. Verse 28. Surrender to those who would take our things. Verse 29. Give expecting nothing back. Verse 30. Giving, 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 giving. And that's God's mercy, isn't it? The mercy He gives to many, the mercy that He gives to many who will give nothing back, this is the mercy that we're meant to show. So that's tough, right? It's, it's not meant to be easy. Otherwise, why would He have told us to do it? We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have needed a command to do that. Our natural tendency is to give back to those who give to us. 
No one needs to teach you that. Even unbelievers will give to those who will give back to them. Even unbelievers will forgive someone if it's in their benefit. But you're called to be different. Look at verse 32 to 34. He makes that clear. Even sinners do the same. Look at that. Verse 32. Verse 33. Even sinners do the same. Even sinners lend to sinners. You're supposed to be different than them. A test to see if you're truly merciful is if you continue to do these things and you won't get anything out of it. I'll say that again. A test to see if you're truly merciful is if you do these things and don't get anything in return. And don't you want others to see God's mercy? Like, Wouldn't that be great if we could show God's mercy with our lives? Like a lot of the books in the New Testament, the commands come after telling us who He is, what God has done. And like we said, our motivation to be merciful is His mercy. Notice we aren't given too many specifics here for that reason. We're just given general principles. If He was going to give us rules on how much to give, when to give, how many times to forgive, what kind of people to forgive, we'd become Pharisees all over again. And then there would always be an exception, right? I can't, I can't forgive what that person did. Like, God, you don't know. No, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand. They went way too far. No, 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 no. I'm sure, I'm sure you haven't done those either, right? No, it tells us to be merciful as He is merciful. So ask yourself, going throughout your day, how can I be merciful even as He is merciful in this situation? Don't think that you could ever give more to someone that He gave to you. Christ gave His life for you. That There's no room for exceptions here. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's what it says. And so as a as a note, we're almost done. But uh, to not be merciful is to be oh, pretty much a walking contradiction. Uh, in Matthew Matthew 18, uh, we won't turn there for time's sake, but there's a parable about an unforgiving servant. And he's forgiven billions of dollars when you convert it over or whatever. And uh, after this, the servant goes and he chooses not to forgive another servant. And what does the master do? He punishes the servant, right? Why? Because no matter how much the other servant owed him, it it pales in comparison. Like there's no comparison there. And something something that was interesting when I was realizing, when I was reading that story, is that it actually what what the other servant owed him was actually a decent amount of money. It's not that it was tiny it would have been something that he would have been mad over normally. But in light of the, what, billions of dollars, whatever, that's, that doesn't even make sense. Like, that, that response doesn't even make sense. Um, that parable, right before that parable, Peter had asked Jesus, Lord, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And so Jesus' answer was that parable. 
And the answer, in essence, is in light of the mercy you've been shown, there's, there's no limit to the mercy you're supposed to show. So if there's, if there's someone you haven't forgiven, you need to do that. To put it bluntly, you need to do that. If you're holding bitterness against someone, you need to forgive them. Otherwise, you're just you're a walking contradiction. So let's go back to, well, I guess we don't really have to flip there, but uh, going back to our original, original verse, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So then, right before that, we have a broken, mourning, meek person who's longing for God's righteousness, saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. And these are the people who, knowing God's mercy, and knowing the mercy that's going to be shown them, be glad to give mercy to other people. And what does that make them? Blessed. Blessed. Okay. Um, Let's pray. Father in heaven, you've been so merciful to us. Father, you've given us more than we more than we'll know. But Lord, this is this is difficult. Or these are hard things to reflect your mercy. Lord, it's hard to do that. Father, I pray that you'd give us give us strength. Father, would you empower us by your spirit to to reflect who you are to those around us. Lord, remember the the motivation for this is it's not for selfish gain. It's not for it's not for anything else, Lord. It's it's simply an outflow, an overflow of, of how much you've given us. Lord, would you continue to remind us of of how much mercy you've given us. Lord, don't let us forget. Keep us mindful of you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.